0: I was thinking about things I love that mark the Christmas season, and there's so many. Uh, I love the Christmas music. I'm a Christmas music junkie. November 1st, it's on. I'm ready to roll. Uh, I love the Christmas lights. Like, I, I legitimately love Christmas lights, especially because it's in the darkest season of the year that you have these lights that are glowing and it makes everything happy to me. I love cookie trays. I didn't know cookie trays, so I moved to Pittsburgh and people started exchanging these and I have been the glad recipient of many cookie trays, Uh, but I love gift giving. I love gift giving and gift giving is something that marks Christmas for us and it's fitting. Why would we give gifts at Christmas time? And probably the most basic reason is because Christmas marks Jesus coming to give us gifts and that's what this series has been all about that we've been working through. Is the idea that when Jesus is born, the king, as as Paul would write, the only potentate, this, this king, this sovereign of the universe, that he comes bearing gifts. And today we get to cover yet another gift. We've already covered hope and peace. And last night we looked at that he gives himself. He gives his life a ransom for many. But today we get to look at the gift of joy. And I think this will be a fitting gift for Christmas morning. You know, you don't always like the gifts that you're given. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes you're given something and you don't want it, right? Sometimes it's as simple as like a subpoena or an eviction notice. And like, I got it, but I didn't want it. Sometimes you're given though the cold shoulder. You're given things you don't want, right? Sometimes there are gifts even you don't love. Ever been given a gift that required a lot of humility to receive, right? Your spouse gives you this book that I think will be perfect for you. 10 ways to reduce your anger. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm, I'm a little angry that you think I have an anger problem, right? Sometimes you're given those things that are like, I thought you knew me, why would you give me this, right? I've been asking for diamond earrings for five years and another toaster. Thank you, you know, this is, it's just perfect. Sometimes you don't want your gifts. But when Jesus comes giving gifts, giving us a better hope and a better peace, or we'll see today a greater, fuller joy. You want those gifts. These are things that each of us, I think deep down, we long for. We long for hope and we long for peace and we long for joy. And I want us to use John 15 as our launchpad today. So let's look at verse 11. One verse, simple verse. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you And that your joy might be full. Now we're gonna hang our thoughts on on three uh, little phrases this morning. There's a Savior's joy in this verse. There's a steady joy in this verse. And there's a superior joy in this verse. And I want you to understand it. So first of all, notice that there is a Savior's joy. Right in the middle of the verse, Jesus says, I've spoken that my joy might remain in you. Now he's gonna get to your joy in a minute. But he says, I have my joy to give to you. And I want you to know the basic thesis for this sermon is that you cannot have great joy or full joy apart from Jesus, apart from his joy. That if you really want the gift of joy, then you need it to go through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just sang this this morning. We opened up with joy to the world. The Lord has come, right? Our second song we sing, God rest You merry gentlemen, has this refrain over and over. Tidings of comfort and joy. What, is, what are those songs trying to communicate? That in the birth of Jesus, there was a special joy that was given to the world. And this is absolutely said in Luke chapter number two, Janelle read it beautifully earlier, that the angel comes and says, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, Why good tidings of great joy? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Great joy is part and parcel of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinkers, and I can read your mind. And you think to yourself, well, Pastor, I think you can have joy apart from Jesus. You know, Pastor, I know some people that they don't believe in Jesus at all, they're atheists. My aunt's an atheist and she's, she's a pretty joyful person. She's pretty happy. Pastor, I work with some people and they just think Jesus is one of many philosophers and one of many ways and they don't really see Jesus as savior of the world and king of kings. They, they don't view Jesus like the Bible views Jesus. But Bob, who I work with, like he has a pretty good life and he's pretty happy. Like he's not this curmudgeon-y killjoy. He has joy in his life. How can you say that real joy is not available apart from Jesus. Well, I'm not saying that there's no joy available apart from Jesus. More to come on that in a minute. I'm not saying that you can't have any joy apart from Jesus, but my contention, and I think the Bible's contention, is that you cannot have great joy or what John 15 would call full joy apart from Jesus. That while the the world can offer a version of hope or a version of peace, or a version of joy, there is an upgraded hope and peace and joy that is only available through Jesus. If you want great joy or full joy, it's only through him. Now, the inverse of that is true. You're not going, let me say in the negative, you're not gonna have real joy if you do not have Jesus. And Jesus says, I have my joy and I wanna give it to you and I want it to remain. So notice with me, and this is the core of the sermon, that it's a steady joy. I want to give to you my joy so that my joy might remain. My joy might not depart or perish, but it would last, it would endure. So can someone find joy in life without God, without Jesus? Sure. Whether you're saved or not, watching the kids open presents is joyful. It's fun. Our kids are at these great little ages where every single one of them get what's going to happen on Christmas morning, right? They're three, five, six, and eight, but none of them are old enough to where it's kind of like old hat, like impress me, you know? Like every single one of them explodes with joy over the five below Christmas present, you know? It doesn't take much to impress them, and it's so much fun. It's so much fun. It was joyous. We did our Christmas yesterday because we knew today it was church and then we're traveling to see my family in Kentucky after church. So we did everything yesterday. We opened our presents yesterday morning at 6 a.m. and it was just joyful in the house. It was, it was beautiful. Is there joy for anyone, whether they're saved or not, to hold their grandbaby in their arms, this little two-month-old grandbaby? Yeah, Absolutely. Is there joy in love or in weddings where we sing or we dance? Or, oh, yes, all those things can be joyous no matter who you are. But steady joy, durable joy, remaining joy, that's a different, that's a different thing altogether. And here's the trick with joy apart from Jesus. Is that all the joys I mentioned, opening presence, joy from love, like romantic love you having success at work and some measure of joy coming from that all of it's fickle all of it is not very durable and you can lose it in a heartbeat because while it's fun to do that with the kids there could be a scenario where sickness comes or death comes and the next year isn't as joyful well, there's a scenario where the kids grow up and now they're teenagers and it's, it's tougher to impress them and Christmas morning isn't as joyous as it used to be when they were little or perhaps they grow up even further and they start to have patterns of foolish behavior and now they're addicted and now we don't even do Christmas together any longer. Like that's a possibility. And the joy that comes from opening presents on Christmas morning can go away potentially, right? The joy that comes from our relationships are not as steady as we would like for them to be many times. We lose that or we're betrayed or they they pass away. And all of a sudden, we realize that it's a bit less substantial than we would like it to be. And the Bible attests to this. I love this passage in Proverbs where it talks about parenting with your children. And Proverbs 17 says that the parent of a fool has no joy. But then it would say just a couple chapters later that the parent of a wise child has joy in that child. Now, you know what that's teaching? It's teaching a very simple lesson. That a parent's joy is largely contingent upon their children's choices. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the choices of your children are less than predictable. Everyone who's, who's like, you have kids that are 13 or older, you're like, yes, I'm aware now. And this is just a basic lesson you should learn as, as, as life goes on or hopefully before you get to some of the years later on with, with your kids and they start to become adults. That your joy and your heart is wrapped up in them to some degree and that is less than stable. This is both the beauty and the terror of Parenting. The beauty is that you could be going through a really tough time, but if your child is making wise choices and you see them flourishing, that there's this deep joy that can come even in the toughest moments from that. But the terror is that you could have everything in order in your life, but if your children are making unwise, foolish choices, then your joy is sucked out of you very easily because of them, right? Human joy is fickle. And I can illustrate that to you over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, Greek philosophers caught on to this uh, even before Jesus was born. The Greek philosophers began to recognize that, you know what, the way that, that people are getting joy, it doesn't work. You get it, but then it's gone. And you're just, you're grasping at the shadows all the time. You're constantly chasing it. And sometimes you get it, but then you, you, you have it by the tail and it runs away on you again. And they began to say, you know what? The hedonists who say, take joy and pleasure, who take joy and comfort, the pleasure goes and the comfort goes. And the people that say, take joy and success, well, there's a problem. The success may fade or worse yet, the success may never come. The people say, put your joy in your family, family could fall apart. So the Greek philosophers tried to upgrade it, especially the Stoics. And they began to say, you know what? Do not put your joy in anything other than self. Because your virtue and your character is the only thing that you can really control. And that's how they govern their lives. Don't find joy in other stuff, in pleasure and family and success. Find joy in your own virtue, in you. Now there's a massive defect with that. It presumes that you can control your own character and your own virtue. But you and I both know we can't. Because when we talk about you, there's more than one of you down there, right? And I hate to go deep on you with Christmas morning, but this is the truth. You have desires inside of you that are both you that have head-on collisions with each other all the time you have a seething cauldron of desires that just bubble all over the place. So for example, New Year's is coming up and we, we wanna make our resolutions and many of us wanna get healthier and there's legit desires in many people that are healthy or unhealthy that I want to have a strong cardiovascular system, I wanna have a strong, healthy heart, which means my weight's gonna have to drop, which means my exercise is going to have to go up and that's a legitimate desire. But you know what other desires are in there? Desires for Oreos, right? And those Oreos are tricky because you you eat the whole row of them and it feels like your stomach's empty, right? I don't know what magic stuff they put in there to trick your brain, but I take 10 bites of steak and I feel pretty full. I take 10 Oreos, I'm ready to go another 10. You know, it's easy. I have a desire for chocolate and Oreos I have a desire to be healthy. Those don't align with each other. Those compete with each other, right? Let let me give you a, a less silly illustration. Anyone I've ever talked to who is hurting their marriage through an affair, whether they are about to have an affair or they did, or they're in the middle of one, every single time that person has communicated to some degree, that they wanted to, but they didn't really want to. That deep down, they wanted to be a person of virtue and integrity and honor and honesty and do the right thing according to their, according to their spouse. But there was also something else that was tantalizing, that was enticing them. And there were these two competing desires that were warring inside of them. What is that? It's us. It's humanity. It's why Paul would write and say, the things I wanna do, I don't do sometimes. And the things that I don't wanna do, I do sometimes. This is why Romans 2 will tell you that if you judge yourself the way that you judge other people, read it in Romans 2 verse one, it's profound. If you just held people or yourself to the same standard that you wanna hold other people to, the world would be a better place, but you can't even do that. You can't live up to your own standards that you think are good for the world. And then it swings the pendulum and says, you think you can live up to God's? Like you're, real, you're really failing here. But our own standards we think are good for people. We break all the time. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Secular people were smart enough to recognize I can't put my joy in them or in that because it can go away. It won't remain, it won't be steady. So they backed up and said, let's try to put our joy in ourselves, in our own character, in our own virtue. But we're smart enough to recognize that doesn't work either. You need to have something that's steady. And What Jesus is trying to communicate is that there is a version of joy that is only in him, it's his joy, and that his joy can remain. Do not hitch the, yourself, your joy to the wagon of self. You want to hitch your joy to the Lord Jesus. This is illustrated very beautifully in Luke chapter number 10. I want you to turn there with me if you would for a moment. Luke chapter number 10 is this moment where at face value you would think, put your joy in that, that's a great idea. And then Jesus slaps his disciples upside the head and tells them, bad idea guys, look at Luke 10. Jesus has just sent out 70 of his disciples to go proclaim him, to go work on his behalf and some amazing things happen. They start to like cast devils out of people and miracles and they come back and they're on cloud nine. And they're like, we know you sent us with authority, but we, we didn't really understand exactly what was happening here. And like, you really sent us with authority. And here's what they say in verse number 17 of Luke 10, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, Even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. So get get the picture. They have joy because God is using them. Now that sounds like something to joy in, right? And in some sense, it would be good to joy in that. I don't know if you know the joy of being used for kingdom purposes, of seeing Evil in the world beaten back and seeing righteousness push forward. That's a beautiful thing. But here's what Jesus says in three verses later in verse number 20. Notwithstanding in this what they were rejoicing in, their ministry success, don't rejoice in that. In this, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now get what he's doing, get what he's doing. He taps the brakes on what they are finding joy in, their ministry success, and says, I want you to order your joy in a different way. I want to make sure that you're finding your joy in the right thing and in the greatest thing. And what should be the greatest joy in this passage? That your name is written in heaven. Meaning that I am redeemed, that I am part of God's family, that I am saved, that my name is on the heavenly roster. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to teach them a profound lesson. One of those things they're joining in is not stable. And one of them is. Ministry success is unstable. And if you read the New Testament, you find that sometimes they stomp scorpions and sometimes they're eaten by lions. That sometimes... they they say the devils are subject to us and they're cast out of people. And other times they're like, Jesus, we don't know what to do. We're We're getting beat up here. And he's like, this kind doesn't come by prayer and fasting actually, guys. You need to upgrade this a minute. And the ministry success is not nearly as stable as one would like it to be. But he says there is something else that is stable and sturdy and consistent that you can bank on and it will not change. Your name is written in heaven find your joy there. And he does his best to anchor them off in a practical way to a a joyous foundation that is not going to crumble from out from underneath of them. And when Jesus says, I have joy that will remain in you, it's joy that is only attached to him. Because as much as we would love to think that while we take our vows at the altar and we say the I do's, that that will be steady and they will never leave us nor forsake us. And we promise that and we bank on that and we trust on that. But we're all smart enough to see relationships with the trusty roads. And we're smart enough to know deep down that could happen to me. I don't want it to. I don't think that it will, but it could. There's only one relationship when someone says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you can bank on it. And that's when Jesus says it. He's offering something to his people that is stable and sturdy and durable. And what could be more durable than your relationship with God when Jesus saves you? Nothing. The joy of knowing God The joy of having a relationship with God. The joy to know that he's your father and that you're his dear child. The joy to know that your name is written in heaven. The joy to know that he pursued you and brought you into his family and that you're dear to him. The joy not from your utility to God or your usefulness for God, but your joy from your relationship with God. That is something that is far more durable than them or that, or your own character. This is why it's so important that we recognize that salvation is not attached to our works and our effort and our merit. If my salvation is attached to my effort and I can have it and lose it and have it and lose it and and I have to earn and I have to do better and I have to work and I have to be baptized and I have to do all this stuff. If it's married to that, how can I ever find real joy there? It's contingent on me and I'm fickle. It's not contingent upon Jesus. But when you understand the meta theme of the gospel, that salvation is through Jesus and his effort and his merit, which is secure, and it's not your resume, but it's a referral system. It's him. Then you can have something that's secure. Then you can joy in something that is consistent. And when that happens and you understand that, The core of the gospel message that you can joy in Jesus and your relationship with Him. Then all of a sudden you start to understand that you can have a full joy. And that's what He says. He says, I want to leave you my joy. It'll remain in you. Why? So that your joy might be full. And I love the, the word picture. The word picture is that we're going through life with our joy tank half full on empty sometimes, just needing to refill back and forth. But he's offering something that can fill us up and something that will not change or go away, a steady, superior joy. Johnny Erickson Tada is a young lady. I mentioned her a couple months back in a sermon in 1 John. And she was paralyzed as a teenager. She dove into this water that was shallower than she had anticipated. And she broke her back and was paralyzed from that day forward. Johnny is, is still alive. She's, uh, she's getting up in years, and her health continues to not get better but to get worse. And I've heard her speak on, an, on a handful of occasions in recent years, and she's one of the most joyous people that you'll ever listen to. I mean, the way she writes and the way she speaks is just, uh, it's convicting and amazing all at the same time. She taught herself, actually, shortly after she was paralyzed, and she became famous for this. There's a movie made about her, many books. She taught herself to draw and to paint with her mouth because she couldn't move her hands or her feet. She's a quadriplegic now. Actually, the bulletin cover, if you have your notes with you, the front of that cover is a painting from Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, We added the words to it, gifts from a king. Uh, But that painting is one that she did. It was inspired by Van Gogh and his use of light. And she painted the three magi coming. And yes, I know there could have been more than three magi. I'm aware. But the magi coming on camels. And and that's one of her paintings right there. Johnny is someone who talks often about how she's learned to joy in Jesus. I want to read just a really brief quote for you from one of her books. This book is called A Place of Healing. And I love the, the subtitle wrestling with the mysteries of suffering, pain, and God's sovereignty. And she just writes very honestly, I'm wrestling with like, why would a sovereign, loving God bring pain and suffering to my life in an immense way? And here's what she says. She says that Jesus has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. And the more intense the pain, the closer his embrace And I want to recognize what she's saying. She's saying, my health stinks. And I want to be healed. Like, I do not like this. But I'm learning that there's something deeper than that. And that's Jesus being close. That's that's his embrace. What she's learning, as she writes, is that my joy can't be in my health. But my joy can be in Jesus. And that gets better and deeper and richer and fuller as time goes on. And Johnny is someone who has learned to take the truth and the promises and the salvation of Jesus and make them what I would call the background music of her life. You ever been somewhere where they, where they play background music? I especially like sporting events where, they, where the... The, uh, the people can choose their own music. I don't know if you've ever been to a baseball game and the pitcher who takes the mound gets to choose his song right, as the background music to put him in the right frame of mind. And the, and the pitchers, if you go to an athletic game, they never come out to like Ave Maria, right? It's never silent night to get them in the, in the, in the zone to, uh, to, to throw the ball. Like I've been to a lot of basketball games And Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On has never been a warm-up song, right? You pick a song to kind of put you in the right frame of mind. But there's there's this idea that all of our lives should have background music playing. And that as we take the mound of life, there should be something that puts us in the right frame of reference. And the idea is that the background music should be what Jesus gave to his disciples. Jesus says it should be me. It should be salvation. It should be that your name is written in heaven. Like make that what runs on a loop and secures you and frames your reference. Don't make it something different. And I know many Christians who have in the background of their life playing something far less than Jesus and his promises. The background music for many Christians is music of woundedness, or brokenness, or pain, or anger, and it doesn't serve you well. But you can, if you want to, stop, and reflect, and meditate, and ponder, and take your joy away from things that are fleeting. And when they're there and they're good, okay, enjoy the kids. Enjoy your marriage. I'm not saying don't enjoy your marriage. Enjoy the success. If you're Earning well at work. But don't make that the fundamental place that you find your joy. For me as a pastor, I'm guilty of migrating my joy over to ministry success, oftentimes rather than my identity in Jesus. But Jesus tells his people, I have a joy, it's my joy. And it's steady and durable. I tell you what, it's superior than what you can find on your own. Put it in me.